we have now come to the time in the service where we approach the Word of God. And on this Sunday, as we are continuing our Nurture series, um, we are going to be doing uh, a discipline that some of us may be and some of us not, and is particularly a difficult one for me and assuming a number of you, which is the discipline of confession. So um, I ask that you uh, would allow yourselves to feel vulnerable in this time, and as we walk through these texts together and through these words together. Our first passage is going to be um, Psalm 51, and then our second is going to be from the Gospel according to Mark. So let's begin with Psalm 51. It's going to be on the screen behind me, um, but if you feel so glad to open up your own Bible on, uh, in front of you or on your phone, do that as well. Um, let us listen to the Word of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, roster away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. And so you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare and sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. And burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Our second passage um, comes from the Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 5, starting at verse 24 and going to 34. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there that had, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? 
You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit this day. That as your word has been read and your word is proclaimed, that we might hear with joy what you would have to say to us this day. Let all the words that come from my mouth be purely from you and be honorable to you. Let me say nothing that you do not want me to say. And God, I ask that you give me courage as I come up here today and speak these words. I ask that you fill us all with your Holy Spirit, that we may receive your grace and healing this morning. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So one of my favorite things about being a pastor is helping people realize their call. And not just calls to ministry, calls to anything. And what I found, which is really cool, is that usually it comes in stages. You get a call, and then you get what Mother Teresa calls a call within a call, which is technically just a more specific uh, clarity on your call. So, for example, say at some point you feel a call to teach, and then it's not until a little bit later, a little bit more discernment, that you discover, okay, I'm called to teach elementary school kids. Or you say, oh, no, not called to teach kids, know that. I'm going to teach college students. Or say you feel called to heal people. You feel called to be in medicine in some way. And then it's later that you discover, okay, I'm called to be a pediatric surgeon. Or I am called to be a nurse that works with oncology patients. It's a call within a call that goes deeper into it. I didn't receive my call within my call until about a year ago when I was in seminary. And I got my call within a call because I realized that I wanted to be something that I needed for other people. So when I began seminary, I came as a cradle Methodist walking into a Methodist seminary. But I was blessed at Perkins, uh, where I go to seminary, to be around people of all different denominations and to be able to be around and learn about those different denominations. And for me, uh, it was both really liberating to get to learn other ways of faith, um, but also really scary because I am chronically an indecisive person. And I began to realize that some of these other families of faith were very attractive to me. And so I began to enter into this state of discernment of, okay, I know I want to be a pastor, but what family of faith do I want to be a pastor in? And I really struggled with this a lot, guys. It was really difficult for me. And if there's one sin that I commit probably the most, it is the sin that I call the sin of self-isolation. I very uh, commonly, whenever I'm facing a difficult situation, like to um, not burden others with that problem and not tell people and pretend like I am in it all by myself. 
and it is a sin that I've committed over and over and over again. And so as I went through this really painful period of discernment, I committed this sin of self-isolation. I didn't really tell anyone because I was afraid. What would people think? What would people, what would other pastors think if they thought that I was thinking about maybe not being a Methodist pastor? What would my classmates think that were just so strong about our denomination? What would my friends think if I decided to not take that UM history course because I didn't feel ready yet because I wasn't sure if that's where I was going to be? It was a really difficult time for me, and so I reached out to a spiritual director who could hold space with me and allowed me to discern with her where I was supposed to be. And so I pulled through that time, obviously, as I'm standing here before you today, and I think I'm all the better for it to have moved through that. But I realized through me committing that sin of self-isolation and me having to go through this period of difficult discernment alone, I decided that my call was to not allow any other person to go through that. So I decided that my call within the call was to be a pastor to pastors, to walk beside other pastors as they deal with their ministries and to help them feel enriched in their faith and help them to continue to grow. And so I thought that this worked best through um, being trained in more spiritual disciplines and more spiritual practices and in order to help pastors restore their spiritual life. Because I had found over and over again that the reason that many pastors isolate themselves is because they are not having the time and the space to fill their spiritual life. So I did this by joining some spiritual groups. I joined a couple of cohorts where we spend time together praying and sharing and learning what it means to be a spiritual person. And the hard part about that, friends, is that I realized very quickly, and I hope that you realize it this summer too, is that becoming more spiritual and becoming embedded in the spiritual life is uh, not so much about adding things on, adding things to your life, but you grow spiritually by letting things go. When we think about Sabbath, think about what you're letting go during that day. When you read scripture, whenever you take time to pray, think about those things you're letting go. It's in that letting go that we are actually growing versus the things we're adding on. Becoming more spiritually mature is about letting go and letting that letting go transform us. So I was okay with that, and that, was, that sounded great and uh, sounded all good to me, but I had another issue pop up with me, which was that I realized that part of this letting go, especially in community, meant uh, confession and con confessing uh, areas that I struggled with with other people. Uh, and this is also something that I am chronically very bad at doing. Um, and if you, uh, you can ask just Dario and some of our other pastors, I do not like to share during our meetings. Um, so it's something I still struggle with. And so we would get to this point where we would, and it was so vital to what we were doing, that we, in order to grow together with God, we had to confess with each other. And not just the sins that we'd been committing, but those, those things that we were struggling with, those doubts we had, those physical ailments that we had that no one else knew about. 
those things that were kind of holding us back from being our most free self, the things that we needed to let go of. And so I would, I would usually, you know, throw together a couple of things uh, to confess. Um, I would say stuff about how, you know, uh, I got really impatient with someone uh, when we were driving and I cut them off because drivers are really horrible. Or I, you know, you know, like little, like I stubbed my toe and I said a bad word, you know, these things. And people very quickly picked up on what I was doing and challenged me and said, Madison, no, those things don't matter. We want you to really confess where your heart is. And so I really fought them on this for a long time, and they were very diligent and loving, and I still meet with this group, and they have loved me through this. And I was so astounded to watch some of these other people be so honest of themselves, so self-aware of what they were struggling with, and to be able to share with such dignity and grace and awareness of where they were. And such courage. It takes so much courage to admit your faults, even out loud, even just to God, to admit what you're struggling with. It takes so much courage, especially when we're taught to be so strong. But there is one, one particular group that in every one of these spiritual groups, I was realized, okay, these guys have the confession thing down, and it was the same group over and over and over again. It didn't matter their race. It didn't matter their age. It didn't matter their career background. It didn't matter their gender, anything. This same group had this confession thing down. And it took me a while to realize what it was, and then I realized it. They were all people that were a part of a recovery community. Now, some of you in this room may be a part of a recovery community yourself, or some of you may um, be really close to and love someone who has gone through recovery. And that alone would probably cover more of us in this room than any of us would like to admit. But I realized as I was sitting with these people that the, the tips that they'd learned and how to be aware of themselves, how to confess in groups and be real with God and each other, but what they were struggling with had healed them in such a powerful way. They would sit down and, and they would teach me about these 12 steps that recovery communities go through. And as I've spent more and more time reading them and researching them, I am of the opinion that everybody, regardless of your situation, everybody should go through these steps. And one of the things that I kept thinking about is that powerlessness is the first step in order to lead to this healing that comes through and a recovery community. The first thing that we do that starts this process is admitting that we need to start the process. Without that, we can't even begin. Without confessing what we're struggling with, without laying it down on the table, nothing can happen with it. I think most of the times we think that if we name something, it becomes more powerful. But I think actually what we find so often is that when, when we name these things and put them out, we do proclaim that we have power over them in the name of Jesus who frees us from all things. It's only then that we can start this process 
of healing and growing closer to God. I was particularly introduced um, to step five of the 12 steps, which is to confess to God, ourselves, and our neighbors the exact source of our wrongs. And so I would spend time in these groups, and I would go deep into myself, again, committing this sin of self-isolation that I wasn't aware that I had at the time. Now I can profess it, but at that time I didn't know I had it. And I would think about all these things wrong with me and would start confessing them, but I don't think I understood at that time what confession really was for. Because see, in Psalm 51, when I returned to that passage in the midst of confession, I realized that David, who wrote this psalm, had picked up on something that I hadn't at that point. So this psalm, the classic story behind it is that uh, David writes this song when he's in a state of repentance after having an affair with Bathsheba. And so he's coming from a place of uh, shame and guilt and asking for forgiveness. And so whenever I was thinking about, okay, how do I confess well to these people, I turned and it dawned on me one day that David knew what the point of confession was. He approaches it in a state of guilt, but he acknowledges that what is happening in his confession is healing, and what he's asking for is healing. When you look at the verbs in this psalm, they're very medical and very parental terms. Wash me, cleanse me, purge me, pour me with hyssop. All these kind of medical, loving things. This is what David is asking for in the midst of his confession. This is what David knows is going to happen when he confesses. Because I think the core point that I want to drive home today, and if you don't remember anything else I say today, brothers and sisters, it is this. The point of confession is not to remind us of how bad we are. The point of confession is to remind us of how good we are. That we, whenever we strip down all those things that separate us from God, all that is left is a child made in the image of God. And that is who we are at the core. That is who God desires for us to be. God desires for us to be that pure child of God. And in order to do that, we have to continuously be shedding off those things that block us from that relationship with God. It is not to, for us to judge each other. It is not for us to judge ourselves. It is for us to be saved. It is for us to be healed. And to receive a healing that goes deeper within anything that we've ever experienced before. God loves God's creation. God wants to heal God's creation and redeem it. That's why God sent God's Son to us. We are called and we are supposed to be healed. And just as we learn in the 12 steps, the first step to healing is admitting that we need to be healed. To laying it on the table in community with God, with each other. We see this in the gospel of Mark in our passage this day. And I ask Tristan if you can put up that image for us. Um, 
So this image is, um, it means a lot to me because, so I was dealing with this sin of self-isolation and I was in the midst of really struggling with not wanting to tell my uh, accountability groups things about myself that I was really struggling with. And I had kind of resigned to, uh, like I said before, just making up things to tell them and kind of hoping that that would do the trick, even though I knew deep down that there were things that were so in me that I had trouble even sharing them. And so in the midst of this process, I went to the Holy Land with my school, and one of the places we got to go to that had the biggest impact on me was the town of Magdala, which is where Mary Magdalene is from. And the place um, is a very, uh, because she is from this place, um, the museum and the church that they've built is a very kind of feminine place, um, honoring the feminine body, which was very important for me and some of the issues I had been struggling with and how I looked at myself and how my body was not working like it was supposed to be. And in the bottom of this chapel that they have in Magdala, there is this mural, I promise, I confess I will not say that more than a couple times, um, that takes up the whole wall in the back of this chapel. Takes up the whole wall, and it is just mind-blowing. It takes your breath away. And it is, as you can see, it is the woman touching Jesus' cloak, and you can see the power coming off of it. I remember walking down the steps and seeing this image and being slapped in the face by God when I saw this image. I knew immediately what passage this was referring to. I knew how it had connected to my life, how I had been praying on this passage, what it had meant to me. And I saw it as a clear message that I, too, have to have the courage to reach out and touch the cloak by admitting that there are things I need to confess. There are things I need to heal from. There are things I need to share with other people so that they can help me heal and so we can heal together as a church, as a community of faith. And so I spent a lot of time with this image, and I still do. And I am so thankful for this woman in Mark 5 who's not mentioned. We don't know her name. But she could be like a lot of us. And I think she is a lot of us. She suffered with a deep, embarrassing problem for a long time. That she sought out help very secretly, but besides that, didn't really tell other people. And it caused her self-worth to go way down. It caused her self-esteem to go down. And when she sees Jesus walking, she has a decision to make. I can just let him walk by, or I can reach out and touch that cloak so that I might be healed. And by doing that, I am admitting that I need to touch that cloak, that I need to confess things. And so she does it. And Jesus, what he does is he has her confess what is going on in her life, her struggle. In verse 32, Jesus asks her, asks who touches him, and she comes forward finally trembling with fear. 
And it says this is the best part. She tells the whole truth. Not just, I touched you. The whole truth. Think about the gospel message that she's sharing in this moment, friends. She is talking about how the whole truth, how she got this issue, how long she's had it, how it's affected her relationships, how it's affected how she sees herself, how it's affected how she sees God, how it has affected how she goes from her day-to-day activities. She's confessing all of that to Jesus and to everyone. And lastly, she's confessing the truth that she needs healing and she wants it and she has the courage to confess that she needs healing and that she has done it. And through this confession, she is healed. Through her faith that this confession was healed her. Through this act of touching the cloak, she is healed. But not only that, but I am certain that the community was healed by hearing her story as well. Because just like so often whenever someone gets up in front of you and tells a very vulnerable story, that heals you, right? You hear their courage, and you say, I struggle with that too. Oh, I'm not the only one. Confession prohibits me from confessing, from committing my sin of self-isolation anymore. I realize, oh, I'm not in this anymore. This sin I've been struggling with, this physical ailment, I've been dealing with this embarrassing job situation that I was in. I'm not the only one. And it's whenever we can confess these things with each other that we can heal together as a group. So I can only imagine in this crowd the women who were also stealing, suffering from self-esteem issues and issues that were affecting their bodies. Or, or men that watched their wives or their daughters go through something similar and say, oh my gosh, healing can be found in the midst of this if we only lay it down before God. We do this together as a church before uh, when we come to communion. When we confess, if you look at the liturgy, when we confess our sins, the pronoun that we use is we. We confess as a group And we forgive each other as a group. And so just as we are called to frequent communion, to be participating in the sacrament as much as we can, we should also be confessing with one another as much as we can. So that we are creating more authentic relationships with each other and more authentic relationships with God so that we can grow in grace and maturity. So friends, I ask and I encourage you to dig deep, to have the courage to reach out and to touch the cloak, to not just be on the surface level, but to go deep about the things that you need to be healed from. And in that process, I want to remind you again, don't let your wallow. Remember that it is only through this confessing, that healing can take place. It is only through this letting go of your burdens, of your shame, of your guilt, of your sins, that you can walk with God 
to become a more free person and that you can remember how good you are in the image of God. So I invite you, reach out and touch the cloak. During this next song that we're going to sing, sing it out. Let it be the words on your heart and on your mind as you lay down things, as we as a group lay down things to God and allow God to heal us and restore us. This is the purpose of confession. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful that you are so willing to hear us as we come forward with our struggles, with our sins, with our temptations. But we're also, um, we're also scared. And we're thankful that you are always there to give us courage. And so, God, we ask humbly that you would, through your Holy Spirit, allow us um, to discover and examine ourselves, to find those things that we need to be healed from, and to have the courage to reach out and to touch the cloak, to ask for healing, to confess that to others, to be real about who we are, to be real about what we need to be healed from. God, we ask that in this process that you would help us be restored and redeemed, that we would be healed as you have intended all creation to be healed. We give you thanks that you care about us enough to want this, to desire this, that we would be made whole. We ask that we would give our whole selves to you. And so, God, we move into this time of responding to this word by giving of ourselves through offering. We ask that all that we give of ourselves today would be worthy to you and that you would use the gifts that we give to build your kingdom. We ask that as we sing this song that we would allow ourselves to let go, to strip down, to confess to you the things that we need to be healed from, that we would lay it at your feet, that we would be powerless for a moment and let you take all the more power because we know that when we are at our weakest, you are at your strongest. And so we ask that you would allow us to be weak today, to confess what we need to confess this day and allow you to be strong, allow you to be powerful, allow your power to flow forth from your cloak and heal us. We ask all these things in your son's name.